Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. St. Augustine once said, It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is the long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different approach has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 979th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. That's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news of the, to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, our chat board, so forth and so on. Jonathan, let's get started. Uh, First of all, we may sound a little different. Why is that? Well, we're at a Bible conference in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because being at this Bible conference, uh, we've been podcasting now for over a year. We did radio before that. And while we used to do radio, we would always be in the same room. That's right. Once we started podcasting, we've never been in the same room. (laughs) He's back. (laughs) And that's a good thing. And we actually have a little studio audience in here with us. Yes. Say hi, everybody. Hi. There you go. So what are we talking about tonight? Well, Rick, our question is, does our pride make us prejudiced? Part one. And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. So, pride. Pride can be a tricky thing and prejudice can be an awful thing. Let's focus on pride right now. On one hand, we're told to take pride in our work. Well, at least that's what I was told when I was a kid. We want to be proud of our children. We want to be proud of our country. We want to take pride in the things that we own and we want to leave a legacy that we can be proud of. So, pride is good. Sounds like it. All right. Well, on the other hand, we can see how pride comes before destruction, how pride can skew our views of others, and how pride creates temptation to be dishonest. We can see pride becoming obsession, and we can see how pride can create a lack of trust in others, a lack of compassion for others, a lack of credit to others, so pride is bad. It does sound that way. Well, make up your mind. (laughs) Obviously, this is a subject that needs not only clear definitions, but clear principles to establish clear thinking. There is only one solution, and that is, Jonathan, the solution we always go to, and that is, let's see what the Bible says. Exactly. So, folks, it is always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant and practical way. We search out the context of the scriptures that we cite, we try to find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. So Jonathan, as we get started with this and we want to look at pride, let's just take a moment, let's back off, let's do a little bit of a musical interlude on this. 
Uh, this is a song by Don Henley uh, called Too Much Pride. We're just going to play the a minute of the song about the first verse and I just want to mention that um, he, he ends up becoming political in the song and that's where we're playing a little bit because politics is just not something we do here that's right all right so this is Don Henley and, and, and folks as we listen to this get a sense of what goes wrong as a result of too much pride it's common as dirt Old as sin, the road to ruin again and again. Oh, how many dreams have bloomed and died too much pride. How many heavens? lost How many tender loves has vanity cost Lord help the soul who can't be satisfied Too Alright, so there you have a verse of that, uh, that song by Don Henley, and, and it's, it's poignant because he talks about how many, how many dreams have bloomed and died because of too much pride. How many heavens have been hoped for, hoped for and lost because of too much pride. So pride breaks things in people's lives, and, and it's really, really, really a tragedy. And what we want to do is understand pride in the scriptures and then try to understand how we can... Un apply the principles to make pride be only the good thing and not the bad thing. So that's where we want to try to go with this. So first, Jonathan, let's establish what pride means in the Old Testament. And we'll start with the Old Testament, we'll go to the New Testament, then we're going to combine the two. Um, and, and let's go back to our theme scripture just for a moment here. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Okay, so there's a word for pride in there, obviously. Okay, pride goes before destruction. Old Testament pride from our theme text, there's actually three different Hebrew words from the same word. Now, we're not going to break them all apart, but give us just an overview of what those three forms or three different words actually mean in relation to pride. Well, Rick, it means to mount up, hence in general, to rise, and figuratively, be majestic. Okay. And another definition, arrogance. That's not good. Okay, so to mount up in general to rise. Now, and you think about it, you know, the idea of rising can be a very good thing. It sounds it, yes. Uh, to, to be majestic sounds pretty cool. Definitely. All right, arrogance, not so much. No. So it's interesting that the same word can give you two completely different end results, just like we talk about pride, you know, we talked about in our introduction. Some things, yeah, it sounds good, and some things it sounds repulsive. So how do you put this all in place? So. Pride shown as a good quality in the Old Testament, in the right place, and as a bad quality in the wrong place. That's, that's kind of what we want to establish here. Let's go through a few scriptures and just get some groundwork laid out so we can really get into, into the subject. So we'll go through several scriptures that use some of those words that you talked about and see, see how it works out. Start with Deuteronomy 33, 26. There is none like God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help and through the skies in his ma majesty. 
Okay. Majesty. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Talking about God. There's none like God in all, uh, in God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to your help like, through all of his majesty. So you look at that and you say, well, there's the word for pride. In a positive sense, right? Probably in its most positive mm. sense possible. Yeah. It's not only rising up, it's having like already risen up and, and, and been established in this high, high majesty. Okay, that's one use. Let's take a look, different look. Psalm 10, verses 1 and 2. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. All right, so now in this verse, it says, In pride the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Good or bad? Bad, definitely. Bad, bad. But it's the same word. Same exact word. So in it's majesty in one scripture in Deuteronomy. It's pride in the scripture in Psalms. And thinking, how can the same word have two different definitions? And the answer is, it's the same way in the English language. So we, we got to understand that language is not nearly sometimes as precise as we'd like it to be. Let's go through a couple of more scriptures and just see it... Uh, viewed a little bit differently. Again, same basic word that you, you talked about in terms of, of definitions. Exodus uh, chapter 15, verses 6 to 7. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. I didn't hear pride in that. Well, Rick, the word excellence was for the word pride. Okay. And the greatness of your excellence. So that's a good thing. Yes. So we've seen God Almighty described so far, just in these few scriptures, as having his majesty and his excellence. Now that same word can be used for pride in a negative sense. Let's look at Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Not good. No. Same word, not good there. So, so we've got this, this, this sense of how do you figure out when there should be pride or majesty or excellence or something positive, and how do you figure out when you should avoid it because it, like the Proverbs scripture says, it brings you low, or in the Psalm scripture, you know, the, in pride the wicked hotly pursue those who are afflicted. So it, it creates a dilemma. It does. But in the Proverbs verse, Rick, humility is one of the secrets in that verse. I figured you'd find that. <laughs> and that's important because as we go through this and, and begin to, to really settle the matter of what role should pride play in our lives, having humility as part of that conversation has to be, it has to be present in a, in a very big way. So, Jonathan, you know, the, the question for our, our, our conversation today is does our pride make us prejudiced? And if you notice, it's, it's part one. Did you say that when we started? I did say that. You did. Well, yes. see, I just it went right over my head, but that's not very hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and honestly and truly, as, as we were developing the subject, you know, uh, the, the idea of pride and prejudice together is a really important combination. And it reminded me of the book by uh, Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice. And I know there was a movie, and my daughter, Emily, absolutely loved the movie. So out of respect for the author, who kind of sort of uh, stimulated the topic 
the, the title rather. We're going to do pride today. Next week we're going to talk about prejudice and very, very important between the two. We did want to play one sound bite from the movie Pride and Prejudice. So I asked my daughter because frankly, I don't know if I should confess this on the air, but I didn't want to watch the movie. <laughs> they tell me it's good, especially my daughter. I said, okay, tell me a part of the movie where, where pride and, and prejudice just come out. And she said, oh, just Google the rain scene. So I did, and sure enough, she was right. She really knows her movie. <laughs> so we're going to play this little 38-second Pride and Prejudice clip from the movie. This is Mr. Darcy speaking with Elizabeth. He is a man of high birth, apparently, and very proud of the fact that he is. She is of lower birth, and he is in love with her. We'll just give you the, 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 the scene here. And in the middle of this rainstorm, he's finally coming to the point of being able to express himself to her. So let's just listen in on how that one unfolds. Miss Elizabeth, I have struggled in vain and I can bear it no longer. These past months have been a torment. I came to Rosings with the single object of seeing you. I had to see you. I have fought against my better judgment, my family's expectation, the inferiority of your birth, my rank and circumstance, all these things, and I'm willing to put them aside and ask you to end my agony. I don't understand. I love you. Most ardently. Please do me the honor of accepting my hand. Sir, I... I appreciate the struggle you have been through, and I am very sorry to have caused you pain. Believe me, it was unconsciously done. You know, the thing that impresses me about that is, is you know, the, the articulate way they express themselves. I love you most ardently. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to hear that today. And, and you know, he, he's trying to, to put his, his pride aside because he's realizing there's more to life than that. So it's an interesting thing. Wanted to do that, especially for my daughter's sake. Uh, but just just to, to give an idea that pride gets in the way of real life. And it's something we really want to be focused on here. So we've talked a little bit about one of the words or groups of words for pride. There's another word, haughty, in the New Testament from our theme scripture. You know, it said pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit uh, before a fall. So again, there's several words that are, are, are involved in the word haughty. Run us through what a sense of what they, they all mean. Well, I've got to take about three breaths for all of these. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's start. To soar, that is, be lofty, figuratively, to be haughty, high, proud, elation, grandeur, arrogance, excellency, haughty, height, high, loftiness, pride, elevated or elated, powerful, arrogant, or pride. So a lot of different things. And again, so things on both sides. Mm -hmm. You have exactly. grandeur and elation and excellency mixed in with... Um, arrogant and prideful and, and the word actually the word haughty so again let's look at some examples what does it mean to be proud and is being proud ever a good thing in scripture this is an important question it's, it's kind of set the groundwork for where we're going um, and the interesting thing about the word for haughty Jonathan is when you look through the entire Old Testament these words are rarely used in relation to God Oh, okay. Now, the word for pride in its most positive sense is often used in relation to God. But these words, you almost never get it in relation to God. So, Second Chronicles 17.6. He took great pride in the ways of the Lord and again removed the high places and the ashram from Judah. Okay. But this is in a positive sense. So, he took great pride in the ways of the Lord. And that's the key. It wasn't in himself. No 
but in following the principles of God. So there you have an example of human, a, a human being taking great pride in something very, very positive because it's in godly principles. Yes. Let's compare that to Proverbs 18.12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Okay. So destruction is on its way when the heart of a man is haughty and, again, is lifted up, is arrogant. All of those things that, that we look at with, uh, and we say, yeah, probably not so good. And one more scripture because we've got to wrap up this second. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? Okay, on high. Lofty. Okay. Majestic. So that's one of the few times you see this particular word in relation to God, and it's talking about him being enthroned way above everything that we could ever see or, or, or want or understand. So it gives you a sense of God's loftiness and our smallness. So when we look at this as a pride conclusion, appropriate pride among men in the Old Testament is rare. Mm. It, just, it just is not there. So that's an important place for us to start here. And, and, and Jonathan, in thinking about the Bible, it's really hard to see pride as anything good. My thought exactly. So we hardly see pride positively so far. Does the New Testament change this at all? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side... Time to go in reverse with a CQ contradiction. So, Jonathan, with so much of our current social conversation revolving around ourselves, being acceptable as we are to, uh, uh, to others, no matter what that might mean, taking this next step will really cause many to shudder because the New Testament is pretty plain in its description of the dangers of pride. You, you, you're not going to be able to get around the negativity that pride brings as we take a look at the New Testament. Great quote here from John Maxwell. There are two kinds of pride, both good and bad. Good pride represents our dignity and self-respect, but pride is the deeply sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and oh. arrogance. Okay, sorry, sorry about that. Good pride, dignity and self-respect. Bad pride deadly sin of superiority. Two very different kinds of things. And, and Jonathan, we're going to get into some pretty serious stuff about pride. So before we get into <laughs> he knows what's coming. Yeah. Before we get into something really serious, let's get into something kind of silly. Okay. Yes. And, and, and purposely at this point. So one of the things in, in the preparation for a podcast, we have a, a group of, of researchers that uh, we ask a lot of questions to. And one of the questions I asked was, look, we're talking about pride. There's got to be a hundred movies where you have the good guys and the bad guys. Yes. And the bad guy captures the good guy, and he's gonna he's gonna kill him. He's gonna knock him off. But instead of just shooting him in the head or something, he creates this big elaborate way of, for him to you know meet his demise. And the good guy always escapes, you know. And then the bad guy you know gets his in the end. So we were asking, can somebody send us one of these things? So one of our one of our, our contributors sent us an Austin Powers soundbite which is satirical and it's exactly saying that thing so 
stay with us on this. I know Austin Powers may not be everybody's first uh, first choice, but it is actually quite funny about how it, it brings out the idea of, uh, of, of pride gone awry. So here it is, Austin Powers. Scott, I want you to meet daddy's nemesis, Austin Powers. What are you feeding him? Why don't you just kill him? No, Scott, I have an even better idea. I'm going to place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death. Why don't you just shoot him now? I mean, I'll go get a gun. We'll shoot him together. It'll be fun. Bang! Dead. Done. One more peep out of you and you are grounded, mister, and I am not joking. All right, let's begin. Okay, so he's going to put him into an easily escapable elaborate <laughs> thing that he's he can get out of you know and, and again that's that that's a satirical look at pride gone very very bad in a in a in, in a in a very uh, dramatic kind of way so there are actually six different words in the New Testament for pride okay now we can go through the definitions of all of them but I got to tell you there is one scripture in the Bible and it is the best pride scripture you've ever read Yes, that's correct, right? <laughs> and it's in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, right? Yes. And why is it? Because it has most of the words for pride in this one group of scriptures. That's helpful. So Yeah, so we want to take a look at these, these words and see how they reflect what pride is and how it's reflected in the New Testament. So this is the best pride scripture, I think, in all of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And brace yourself because you will not get through this scripture unscathed. I'm going to interrupt you at least a dozen times. What's new? <laughs> Go ahead. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. Okay. Oh, geez, don't hit the mic. Uh, okay, lovers of self. What does the word mean? Selfish. Okay, so that's pretty simple. So in the last days, men will be selfish. What's next? Lovers of money. Okay, stop. Okay, what does, uh, or I'm sorry, no, no, one more word. Boastful. All right. What does boastful mean? Braggart. Okay, someone who brags a lot. So we've got lovers of self is one of those words for pride. Boastful or a braggart, somebody brags, is another word for pride. What's the next word in the, in the verse? Arrogant. And what does that mean? And that's appearing above others. Again, another word to describe pride. So already in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy 3, we have three, one, what do we have? one, two, three, three different words that are describing pride in three slightly different ways. What's next? Revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. Okay, that's another word. What does it mean? To inflate with self-conceit. All right, and now finish the verse. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. All right, so you've got all of these different words describing pride gone bad. And the most important thing about this particular verse is this is about our time right here, right now. And you can see it everywhere you go. Right. It's sad. So, and, and again, it's a prophecy looking forward to the end times. And the message of the prophecy is, essentially, a lot of things are going to go bad. But the, one of the underlying messages is pride is going to take over. 
So paying attention to this is really, really important. None of these New Testament words that describe the various facets of pride are ever used in a good way, ever. We just said that there are two types of pride. Remember we were talking about mm -hmm. good pride and bad pride, yep. okay? How do you find the balance? There are two verses, two scriptural verses that will set the foundation for our understanding of finding that balance. Before we go to those two verses though, let's take a, a, a moment here, go to another soundbite. This is from uh, Jessica Tracy. She wrote a book called Take Pride and she's doing an interview uh, on the science of pride and she's gonna define authentic pride, the kind of pride that you look at and say, yeah, this is actually a good thing. So, so listen carefully to this because we've got a lot to compare it to in, in a few minutes. There's also this other kind of pride, which we call authentic pride, and that's really just sort of a sense of confidence and self-worth, and it's, it's focused on achievement and accomplishment, and it's what we feel when we worked hard and we accomplished something. And that's a really positive thing because the feeling is really good. It's, it's very reinforcing, as we would say. So, you know, it's something that we all want to feel because it basically is a message within our brains telling us, hey, you know, you're doing a great thing that's putting you on track toward being a good social group member, right? The things that we feel proud of are things that our group likes about us, that our, that our society wants us to kind of do, whether that's succeeding or helping others or, you know, being a good parent or partner. Those are the things that, you know, make us feel authentic pride. And because we want to get those feelings, we end up doing lots of hard work and, and, and you know, often sacrificing things that are easier and more just fun and pleasurable in order to put in the hard work to get those successes that are going to give us those authentic pride feelings. So she's talking about what, what she calls authentic pride and authentic giving us a sense that this is something that's really good that those who are looking for the best for society in your social group, and we can apply this to Christianity with very easily, say, yeah, these are the kinds of things you should be working on. And, you know, accomplishing something with, with, with grace and honor, doing a good job, th those kinds of things, she says, that's the kind of pride you want to get to. And we often, Rick, look at uh, pride in our families right. and how they contribute and wonderful examples of sacrifice and giving to others. That's something that, that you really feel good about. And not only that, and you can extend that to pride to our, in our Christian family as well. When, when someone does a good job with something and you, and you go and you, and you, you express that to them, um, you're, you're in, a, in a sense, you're taking pride in what they have done. And you know, one of the interesting things is there's, an, there's something about being able to say thank you when somebody expresses gratitude rather than say, oh, shucks, it was nothing, you know, or, oh, you know, no, no, I didn't do that. Well, if you did it, it's okay. It's just, you know, and there's a fine line there. We're going to have to, to get through that as we go, okay? So uh, we said bef before we got into that little sidetrack on authentic pride that there were two scriptures that are going to set the foundation for our understanding, okay? The first scripture is in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, verses 16 to 19. This is a scripture that tells us what God hates. In this scripture, there are seven things listed, and every one of these seven things listed are at home in an inflated ego. Okay, so let's go through Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, and yeah, I'm probably going to interrupt you, oh, I don't know, seven times. <laughs> There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Okay, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes that are looking up for the, the, the sake of, of, of uh, 
aggrandizing oneself, making oneself bigger. A lying tongue. Somebody who's uh, just not doesn't need to tell the truth, and pride puts you into that position. You kind of feel like, well, I don't need to do that. I'm above that. I'm different. And hands that shed innocent blood. You say, well, how can pride be related to that? You just don't care about others the way you care about yourself. And that can escalate and escalate. And all you have to do is look at the history of governments and, and men especially who've gotten into positions of power as dictators and the pride and arrogance and the wiping out of, of, of civilizations because they felt like it. What else? A heart that devises wicked plans. When we are driven by pride or by ego, it's so easy to just decide we'll devise the plans based on what I think is best. Feet that run rapidly to evil. Not just saunter on over to evil, not look to check it out, but feet that, that make a beeline for it. Again, the inflated ego doesn't care about good versus evil because you're creating your own definitions of good versus evil. A false witness who utters lies. All right. And again, if you're above the law, who cares? You can say what you want. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Rick, there's lots of details here. Yes. And because of that, we want to fight against these things. We should go to ChristianQuestions.com, sign up for CQ Rewind, and have a transcript of this program so you can see them, lay them out, and really get the definitions and understand how they can really bring us down. All right, so you can rewind the full edition, sign up for it. It's a free service available at ChristianQuestions.com or through your Christian Questions app. And again, you're right. There's a lot, there's a lot of pieces here that we're going to be putting in place. We're just starting to lay out all of this stuff. Rewind is going to help you put it in order and get the lesson and remember the lesson. So we've got this scripture, the seven things that God hates. Okay, that's the first scripture that we use as a foundation to understand what pride is. And Jonathan, I will tell you right here, right now, there is a simple, clear, scriptural antidote for pride. I'm excited. It is awesome. Great. And it is, we're not going to talk about it yet, <laughs> but it is really cool for when okay. we get to it. Okay. All right. So the second scripture, in my opinion, this is the saddest example of ego and pride in all of scripture. And this is a prophetic look at the fall of Satan. And uh, this, I won't interrupt you on this one and give you a break. Let's read through this whole thing. Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you shall be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. So this is a prophetic look at the rising ego and the pride of Satan that caused his downfall. And so, Jonathan, what we want to do is we want to combine these things. We want to combine the seven things that God hates with the example of what Satan was after. Because by doing this, we're going to understand the, the, the deadly effects that pride can have on us. So first is a pride observation. Let's, let's observe pride in action. Let's go back to that Isaiah scripture. Let's just read verse 12 now, and, and then we're going to begin to insert Proverbs 6. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. All right. 
So back to Proverbs 6, what does God hate? What was one of those things that God hates? Well, Rick, he hates um, hands that shed innocent blood. Now, what does that have to do <laughs> with Isaiah, how you have fallen and weaken the nations? Okay. Help so, me with that connection. Yeah, well, okay. So I, I, I'm, the connection's on the paper, and you're saying, what is connected? Well, think about this. It's talking about the, the, this morning star, Lucifer, who was so high and powerful and given responsibility over, over humankind. Over the Garden of Eden right. to protect it. And he didn't protect it. He hijacked it. And by hijacking it, he plunged man into sin and death. So when it says, you who have weakened the nations, it's really saying you have taken mankind's destiny from being able to be godly and godlike in your understanding and knowledge to being full of sin and death. You have weakened the nations. You have taken them from godly principles, and now they are run based on your principles. And to me, that is hands that shed innocent blood. Because every human being now born is born in sin. Innocent blood. Well, Rick, our pride remedy for that is remove the cancer. Okay, great. How do you do that? It's great to say it. Remove the cancer. And we make that proclamation when we have troubles in our lives. And yes, well, what do you do to remove it? We're going to go to another set of scriptures. And we're going to combine these three sets. We're going to combine Proverbs 6, Isaiah 14, and scriptures from Ephesians chapter 1. And when we put these three together and go through each one of these pieces, the answer to pride is going to just unfold naturally because it's scripturally shown to us. So Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4 on removing the cancer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Well, Rick, predestination, this is a subject that we as Christians talk about. He's saying here that we, followers of Christ, were chosen before the foundations of the world. Um, what did he mean? What, what does that, because that's hard. We that's weren't a, born then. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good what question. What is this? And, and so, so God did not predestine individuals. He didn't predestine Jonathan or Rick or somebody else. What he predestined was a replacement because if you recall, sin entered the mind of Satan before the foundation of the world. That's a good point. The lamb was slain from before the foundation of the right, world. Right, right. Satan was given, as Lucifer, given power over the earth. The risen followers of Christ are going to be ministers of reconciliation. Power over the earth. They're taking what was given to Satan and actually going to make it work. That's the predestination. He was cast out. Something had to be brought in. That's what's predestined. Not the people, but the position. Okay? So God's plan prepared a replacement for the fallen Lucifer through the humble means of fallen humanity, chosen to reconcile the world once they proved faithful. All right? Pride's replacement then. Let's, we've got to remove the cancer. Satan is, is tossed out going to be replaced with something else. That is literally removing the cancer. Pride replacement, uh, is, uh, Psalm 63.5. My soul is satisfied, filled to satisfaction, as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Okay, so my soul is satisfied. This is the key to dealing with pride. The scripture says my soul is satisfied. 
filled to satisfaction. What does that mean? When something's filled to satisfaction, it's filled just as much as you want it to be. It's comfortable. It's exactly where it needs to be. This is the remedy. This is actually the replacement for pride. It's spiritual satisfaction. Um, and Rick, it's not satisfaction in ourselves, but satisfied in the praise of God for his abundant plan. Right, exactly. So Satan really revealed a bad heart toward God and toward righteousness. He sure did. So what part does pride play in our heart's desire and in our words, and how can we avoid it? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. So, Jonathan, as comfortable as it might sound, pride often finds a comfortable place to live within our hearts. Once we let it in, then pride somehow or other names itself as our heart's doorkeeper and finds a way to become the monitor of our desires. This isn't good. This is an insidious challenge that needs serious, serious managing. Because once that happens, we're now being dictated to by the pride of, of our experience. And um, we're going to go to a soundbite right here, and then we've got uh, some chat comments to, to bring in as well. But this soundbite is a different soundbite, different source. This is Joseph Solomon talking about, it was a, a YouTube, his YouTube channel, talking about death to pride and fake humility. And it's interesting. He's talking about fake humility. So uh, let's go to that and see what he has to say. Pride says, how do I fit in this? How can I be right? What can you do for me? Who's going to look out for what I want? How can I be known more? How come I don't have what they have? Pride always wants to squeeze I in the middle of everything. Get it? Pride puts I in the middle. I in the middle of... I thought it was clever. <laughs> I, what is at the heart of every argument or disagreement? Someone thought to themselves, how can I come out on top in this? How can I make sure I'm right? And they know that they're wrong. Pride is the refusal to let yourself die. Your reputation, your need to be right, your need to be recognized and seen, your desire for what other people have, your entitlement to get what you feel you deserve. How can I let people know how great or how smart I am? It's all about me, baby. Unfortunately, he's right. <laughs> it ends up being all about me, baby, all the time. And, you know, the idea of pride being in the middle of everything is just, it, it's insidious and it destroys people's lives. Yeah, the I in the middle of pride. Yeah. I, I, I. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that yeah, was clever. Right. That was yeah. clever. It was clever. You got to give him credit. Okay, before we go on, uh, uh, Trish, I understand we have an app comment. Uh, yeah, we, yes, we have an app comment. And it says... One problem with the bad type of pride is that it sneaks up on you and rears its ugly head when you least expect it. Just let someone hang up on me and I'm off and running. I always get in trouble that way. <laughs> and it's true. Once you let pride start to get to you, it ends up being this uncontrollable snowball because we then start to build a story around what happened or what we think happened or what we interpret happened and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then then we end up reacting to something that's not even real 
and it really does it does uh, you know so road rage a great oh, great, great example exa great yeah. very very great example of something very 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 bad so all right let's get back to our formula with the scriptures the pride observation let's go back to the fall of Satan and compare it to the seven things that God hates and then put a remedy in place for it but you said in your heart okay pause right there so we, we took the first part now but you said in your heart this is verse the first part of verse 13 so what is it that God hates from Proverbs 6 that we're going to insert here well Rick it's a heart that devises wicked plans and that fits pretty sensibly it really does so he said in his heart before he did anything he had devised the wicked plan that's what God hates so you've got this observation and it's it's listed elsewhere now what so Rick our pride remedy focuses your heart's desire on being satisfied in participating in giving glory to God okay the key word for the remedy for pride that we're going to repeat again and again and again is to be satisfied but it's not just being satisfied with just anything it's very specific kind of satisfaction so let's start to look at that and, and you said the remedy is focusing your heart on being satisfied and participating and giving glory to God being glory to God being a part of that Ephesians back to Ephesians 1 this time verses 5 and 6 he pre predestined us to us to adopt as sons through Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved all right this is an interesting scripture because it talks about um, he, th that predestination to that, to that position as adopted sons. Now, an adopted child is a child of grace and mercy. Yes. And that's the way we are being described. His will is for those children, those adopted children of grace and mercy, to have their hearts entirely focused on his way. It's to have their satisfaction be in the grace of God given to them in their lives and say, this is the best thing I could ever possibly hope for. No matter what else happens in life, this is something that, that fills me up. Because remember, the definition of satisfaction is to be filled up, you know, however it's, how did it say? It was uh, uh, to, fill, to be filled to satisfaction. Just right. Remember the... Remember the the uh, there was a there was one of those those kids books about the old hat new hat. Do you remember that book? Uh, I do. But okay, you remember it better because <laughs> you love those books. <laughs> yeah. Well, my kids love those books. But you know the the idea of satisfaction was you know in, in the it was the the, the bear the little bear, Berenstein bear I think he had his old hat and he was going to go to a new hat and this one was too leafy too lumpy too beady too bumpy too I don't know how I know this because <laughs> you read it 50,000 times <laughs> but you know at the end the, the hat gets put back on it's his old hat and it's like just right and he's looking in this mirror just right just right just right filled to satisfaction just right a child an adopted child of God has that sense of grace and mercy just right so that's good that's where we've got to get to let's replace the pride now let's look at scripturally how to find that satisfaction let's go to another satisfaction scripture another just right satisfaction scripture psalm 107 4 through 9. they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region they did not find a way to an inhabited city 
They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress. He led them also by a straight way to go into an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. See, just right. Satisfied. He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with that which is good. That's the replacement for pride. If we're, wor- if, we're, if we're worried about feeling prideful about this or that, what we have to do is go back to our adoption. Go look at your adoption papers and see who it is who adopted you into what family. And you say, Whoa. there can't be anything more satisfying, more filling me up than that. You see, when you have that kind of satisfaction, there's no room for pride because you're already all filled up with something different. Well, Rick, our heart truly is the window to our soul. Sometimes it wants to go places that it should not. When this happens, revisit the deep satisfaction found in God's overruling. Satisfaction overcomes pride. Okay, and that last phrase, read it again. Satisfaction overcomes pride. Folks, if you can get that into your head and understand what satisfaction means, you now have, I think, one of the greatest tools that you could possibly have to combat pride. Satisfaction overcomes pride. And we'll, we'll develop that as we go, because we're going to repeat that a lot. Great character, though, from uh, character. Uh, um, what is that? That's a quote. Quote. That's what it is. It's a great <laughs> quote from a character. His name is Samuel Butler. The truest characters of ignorance are vanity and pride and arrogance. Ignorance is made up of vanity, pride, and arrogance. And and when you think about that, those who have great pride often have many things and often are very smart. Doesn't mean that they they have arrived though as human beings and that really is the the difference here. Let's go back to Joseph Solomon, his his, um, YouTube video on death to pride and fake humility. So what, he's going to now define a little bit about what fake humility is uh, in this particular soundbite. All about me. And a lot of times, pride is blinding. You're typically not as good as you think you are. Pride gives an inflated view, an exaggerated view of yourself. Because, be real, you're not all that. But you are always the last person to admit that. But on the flip side, there's a lot of pride that's passed off as humility, but really it's fake humility. The most obvious form of pride is the kind that shows itself on the outside. But the less obvious form of pride is the kind that is inside, aimed at yourself. Oh, woe is me. I'm bad at everything. Why is my life so bad? Why don't I have a man yet? Why don't more people like me? Why am I not as good as they are? And some of us try to act humble just so we can be praised by other people about how humble we are. But this all still sounds the same as the questions earlier. It's always putting I at the center. So I think one of the keys is that he said, you know, some people try to act humble rather than being humble. And when you're acting humble, oftentimes it's to get attention to show how humble you are. Woe is me. And, 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 and when, when, when you bring yourself down and you act in a humble way, it's not necessarily being humble. Being humble is, is, is hard. 
it's difficult and, and for me and you know and I know you're gonna ask me uh -huh. so go ahead ask the me. definition what does humility really mean for me that the easiest way to define humility is an accurate assessment of who you are so that means that if you are somebody who has talent it's okay to acknowledge the talent because that's who you are and if we can accurately assess who we are in the context of the bigger picture that's what humility is and that's where we need to get to so again satisfaction overcomes pride let's go now to the next pride observation let's go back to Isaiah chapter 14 remember we read just the first phrase of verse 13 um, and and let's get now to the uh, to, to the next the next part here but you said in your heart, a heart that devises wicked plans, I will ascend to heaven. Okay, so we talked about a heart that devises wicked plans, okay? You said in your heart, and that was a heart that devises wicked plans, you know, from Proverbs. I will ascend to heaven. So what is it that God hates in Proverbs 6 that we are going to focus on here now with, with the statement, I will ascend to heaven? Well, Rick, it's a lying tongue. All right. He's telling an untruth. It is an impossibility... To do what he said he would do having the spirit nature that he had he knows the loftiness of God and he knows the lack of loftiness although he was in a very high position of himself it, it he's he's preaching a lie unto himself so that he can follow his own lie and be convinced of it and as we go through this Isaiah scripture that's what you see happening and Rick the pride remedy instead of self elevating thoughts and plans focused on and appreciating God's glorious plan for the future to elevate all to perfection it was inward to himself right so instead of self elevating thoughts we have to have God elevating thoughts because that's what satisfaction in God's will and God's way is. so let's go back to Ephesians because this supplies part of the remedy for pride in our lives. Ephesians 1, now we're up to verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. When you think about having his grace lavished. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's like... That's amazing. It's like a grandparent giving their kids just, you know, I'm a grandparent. You know, and you lavish upon your grandchildren mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a way because you love them. That's the, that's the way his grace is described. According to the riches of his grace, grace which he, he's, like, he's just like poured out without measure upon us. That gives you a sense of, 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 of the goodness that we should be satisfied with. I mean, to think about it. To be redeemed is to be bought back from death. Whoa. Because the destiny of every human being is death. Period. Right. End of statement. Okay, so if you're redeemed, you're bought back from death. To have our sins forgiven now in this life as Christians is to be given true grace, uh, I'm sorry, given true riches beyond our frame, beyond what we're even remotely deserving of. It's only through honesty and humility that we can see these things, that we can look at them and say, okay, I get this. This is what my life is really supposed to be all about. I may be going down this other road, but I need to back up and refocus myself. So that brings us to that point of pride's replacement. You've got to replace pride with the right kind of satisfaction. So let's go to another 
spiritual satisfaction scripture in Psalm. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems you, your life from the pit? Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion? Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? So you got a lot of lavishing grace shown in this song. How thankful we should be Absolutely. for all this list. Yeah. And I love eagles. Oh, so, here we go. So soar <laughs> to him and for him to help in his cause. That's how we gain satisfaction, doing God's will and implementing his plans in our life. And that's what the psalm just said, who satisfies your years with good things. So it's not just being satisfied for the moment in this scripture. No. Who satisfies your years, the, the, the long term of your life, you're filled enough. Just right, just right, just right, just right. Just like that old hat, just right. So Jonathan, wrap this section of pride up. Well, Rick, Satan desired to elevate himself through lying to become powerful. We are freely given the power and grace of God through Jesus as long as we are true to that grace and live with praise. Satisfaction overcomes pride. Okay, so Satan desired to elevate himself through lying. He wanted to become powerful, but we are given power and grace. So the things that he was trying to get, he actually kept himself from getting by trying to get them himself. Yes. God's grace lavishes these things upon us instead. So Satan's example is getting worse, which is real trouble for us. You're right. Keeping our hearts and words in check is tough. How do we also tackle pride's assault on our actions? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Jonathan, even when we think we have pride stamped out in relation to our heart's desires, we are still vulnerable. Pride also finds a comfortable place in our proposed actions as it reminds us of lingering and tempting thoughts of having or being something or someone of extraordinary magnificence. We, 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 we want to elevate that magnificence. And you know, that, that's a human nature natural thing. And the thing we have to realize is the magnificence that God gives us because he wants to. Now, which would you rather have? Your imagined magnificence or the magnificence God gives you? Take your time. <laughs> Obviously, the one God gives you. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you know, one is fleeting, the other's eternal. Right, exactly, exactly. And again, it's satisfaction that battles pride. Let's go back to Joseph Solomon uh, again uh, in his death to pride and fake humility. And remember, he talked about pride, then he talked about, you know, fake humility. Now he's going to focus on the humility of Jesus. And this is a, a really good. Uh, place for us to be able to move on from his comments. God says in Philippians that we must have the same attitude that Jesus had. This Jesus who, though he had a reputation, he had authority, he had power, he did not see these things as something to stop him from doing all that was necessary to love people. Why? Because he wasn't thinking about himself. The King of Kings 
took on the form of a slave. The mindset of Jesus was not, I didn't do anything wrong. This they fault, not mine. Why did I have to be the one to go to the cross? Why me? I'm right. Don't these people know who I am? I need to make sure that they get what they deserve. I don't want to get what they deserve. No, it was whatever it takes for people to have peace with God, whatever it takes for people to be okay, that's what I'm gonna do. In this moment, it's not about me. It's about what pleases my father and what my people need. So it's a really powerful example that he gives of looking at Jesus and all the things that he could have said, but didn't say. All the things he could have wanted, the, 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 the oh, let them suffer for their own mistakes. It's, you know, I don't need to be doing this. But that's not the nature of Jesus. His, that, that humble taking on the form of a servant, having been in heaven with God, now taking on the human form to be able to take that upon himself. That is, the, looking at that, realizing that, emulating that is a, is, is a remedy for pride. Jonathan, before we go back to another pride observation, we have another comment. And I understand um, uh, Trish is our, our, our comment deliverer, but she's got one of her own here. So... <laughs> Go ahead. <Okay. laughs> um, so the definition, one of the definitions of uh, humility is an accu accurate assessment of yourself. Yes. So that would mean it's okay to say God is awesome. Yes. And humanity is valuable to him. Which, which would mean that um, I am valuable to him and I am worth saving, which means I have worth. Okay. So does that sound like pride? No. No, that's not pride. See, I don't think that's pride. I think that's a really good, uh, a really good, good question because we do have value in the sight of God. That's the whole reason for the plan. That's the whole reason for Jesus because humanity in its broken, miserable, sinful state of death still has value in God's sight. God loved them so much, he gave his only begotten son for them. So to have value in God's sight is appropriate to acknowledge, but our value comes through Jesus. And that's how we have to put it in perspective. So that actually, that was a good, a good, a good comment, good question to bring up. So let's get back to a pride observation. Let's go back to Satan and his fall, back to Isaiah 4, uh, 14, uh, verse 13. We're going to read through the, the, the things that we've, we've touched on with the additive of the, uh, the, the Proverbs 6, and then we'll get to the new one. But you said in your heart. And that's a heart that devises wicked plans. I will ascend to heaven. And that's a lying tongue. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. All right. So again, going back to Proverbs 6, what does God hate? One who spreads strife among brothers. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. So what he's saying is the stars of God, the other high-level uh, messengers in, in God's creation. I'm rising myself above them. That's an automatic creation of strife because you have broken the order, the godly, sanctified, pure order that the creator, the almighty creator, is set. Not a good thing, and it creates strife. And we know what happened. Satan ended up drawing many, many, many spiritual followers after him. Which we call fallen angels. He created strife among brothers. Well, Rick, our pride remedy, with pride in our heart and on our lips, it is just a small step to reaching for that which is not ours. The remedy for such a travesty is to go back to what we know is absolute truth from God's plan. 
that he has given us spiritual knowledge and purpose. Okay. I think the key to that is what you said right at the beginning. When, when pride's in our heart and it's on our lips, it's just a small step to reaching for that which isn't yours. So if you allow it to get into your heart, and then you allow yourself to start to mutter things about it, then say things about it, it doesn't take a whole lot to start reaching for things that don't belong to you. That's right. Because pride has distorted your view. We cannot be God-honoring with such a distorted view. Pride breaks the chain of a God-honoring life. It, 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 it takes the goodness of a God-honoring life and it breaks into all little pieces so they're not, no, no longer recognizable. So let's go to Ephesians to, for this remedy, to put this remedy of pl in place. Uh, uh, and what you said was going back to what we know is absolute truth from God's plan. Whenever you get off track, you got to go all the way back to the really basic fundamentals and remind yourself of what they are and how they work. Ephesians chapter 1, 9 and 10 actually does that. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. Okay, the scripture starts out talking about the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. Again, remember the previous one was about him lavishing his grace upon us? Yes. Now it's talking about God's kind intentions towards us. Uh, and with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, it's talking about the unfolding of the grandness of God's plan. This, this administration suitable to the fullness of times. That will replace what Satan originally had. Right. And what he actually had messed up. Yes. So, so the knowledge and purpose, taking uh, um, this knowledge and purpose, I'm sorry, take, takes away any fabricated need to reach for what is beyond us. Because you go back and you realize that his plan has it all in order from beginning to the middle to the end. So no matter where you are, his plan overrides you. It, it's already got you taken care of and already got you covered. So we have, don't have a need to reach for that thing that doesn't belong to us because we are freely given, freely given, if faithful, a high and privileged place that will spread peace among brothers. Not strife among brothers, that's what Satan did, but spread peace among brothers. That's the promise. What do you need pride for when you can be satisfied with being part of God's plan that's going to give you everything you could possibly want and more? And I love the idea, the concept that for us to be faithful, our goal is to help others so that they can be faithful. Right. It's not looking out for ourselves. It's looking out for all around us. And that's part of the call of the body of Christ working together. So pride's replacement then to, to get back to satisfaction from the Psalms. Psalm seventeen fifteen. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. You think about that. And that's prophetically looking at the glorification of the faithful Christian. Satan was reaching for and planning for and, and devising for this glory that was beyond him. The glorification given to the faithful Christian 
is beyond what we can possibly comprehend, and it's freely given if we can just be satisfied. And I, that sounds bad to say, oh, let's just be satisfied with God's plan. I mean, come <laughs> on, think about that. Beyond our comprehension. It is, it is. So, so go ahead. Well, Rick, bask in the satisfaction of being drawn closer to the Creator. Realize that there is no need to reach and take, but there is responsibility to grow and mature. See, now, now, now just pause there. No need to reach and take. But it doesn't come to you automatically. No. You have to grow and mature. To have the opportunity to be one of the stars of God's glory is a source of limitless satisfaction. Draw on it. Satisfaction overcomes pride. See, and again, you get to the point with this particular conversation that you're saying, you mean you're going to go back to that again? Yes, we are. Why you go back to that again? Because pride is devious. It doesn't leave us alone. And the answer, the best possible answer, is to find true satisfaction in God's plan and providence and will and direction for us and the world. Rick, there's a lot of stuff here we're going through. It's yep. not easy to keep in order. CQ Rewind will help do that putting things in order so that you can see how they fit together in God's plan. So to go to ChristianQuestions.com and click uh, for the CQ Rewind outline. Again, it's a free service, and if for some reason you don't like it, you can just a one-button click will unsubscribe and nobody will ever bother you again, but you want to try it out because if you want to get in, 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 a, in a really powerful way how to put all of this in order and say, okay, pride, for, for the last time, I want to just be able to put pride away. Now, for most of us, it's always going to come back and haunt us. Mm. But at least you have written down on paper, here's how you remedy it. Here's what you do. Here's how you find God's satisfaction. Let's go to a quote from John Maxwell. Leaders who fail to prune their pride will meet demise. Mm. That's not a guess. It's a guarantee. With pride, it's not a matter of if we will fall, but when. There are no exceptions. And I think that's such a, a, a wonderful statement to make. And it's a great warning. There are no exceptions. If you don't prune back that pride, it will come to haunt you. So let's, let's go back to uh, Jessica Trace. Remember she had talked about authentic pride um, earlier on. So let's go back. This is from The Science of Pride. She had wrote, written a book called Take Pride, The Good Kind of Pride. And, and now in this particular soundbite, she's going to be talking about authentic pride versus narcissism. And, and, and those two, you think, well, how can you put them both in the same sentence? But sometimes there's a fine line, and we've got to be really, really careful. So let's, let's listen to this. Pride is absolutely related to self-esteem. And the argument that I make in the book and that we found in our research is that authentic pride is all about genuine self-esteem, that it's basically the, the self-esteem that we have that kind of makes us just like ourselves and feel good about ourselves. It's based on accomplishments, it's based on hard work, but it tends to be realistic. And the items that people use to assess it are things like, on the whole, I'm happy with who I am, I feel good about myself. So it's important you know, that we make a distinction between self-esteem and narcissism, which isn't just sort of, I'm happy with myself and I like myself, but much more along the lines of I'm better than everyone else, I'm the best one around. You know, some of the items that we use to measure narcissism are things like if I ruled the world, it would be a better place. You know, I'm really an extraordinary person. So, so that's a really important distinction because authentic pride we think is much more about self-esteem, that genuine sense of I feel good about who I am, whereas hubristic pride is much more about narcissism. And, and, you know, Jonathan, uh, to, to build on her comment, you know, we can feel good about who we are because of the redemption 
of Jesus Christ. That's right. You know, because as sinful human beings, okay, not so much. And yes, sinful human beings can still do good things. There's no, no question about that. But we can take the best satisfaction in being bought through the ransom of Jesus because that opens up limitless opportunities for the present to be of service and for the future to be of greater, greater service. And Rick, narcissism, being around people that are better, their ways the way you should do it, it's very hard to, to be comfortable yeah. in hearing someone just pushing and pushing their way and saying it's the best way do it my way. Well, but they're, if they know everything, then what are you going to do, right? <laughs> and, and that's the problem, is when it you is. think you know everything, you've just, you've just displayed to the world that you don't. So let's go back to another pride observation. We're, we're a little tight on time on this segment, Jonathan. I apologize for that. Another pride observation, Isaiah 14, 13. You can, we'll, we'll just review some of the things, and I'll drop in the, the, the parts from Proverbs. But you said in your heart. And that's a heart that devises wicked plans. I will ascend to heaven. That was a lying tongue. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That's one who spreads strife among brothers. And now. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. So what does God hate here? Haughty eyes. All right. Satan is looking above and saying, I will sit. He has set his sights on sitting in God's place. And Rick, the pride remedy, our pride is all about getting and protecting what we see as the thing we should have or be. The remedy for such arrogance is to focus our sight on and work towards that which God has long ago put before us as his gift to us and through us to the world. So again, it's a matter of are you going to look for what you want or are you going to look for what God has provided for you? Sometimes what we want is filled with all of our, our, our imperfect observations, but if we can just say, let me compare that. And is what I want actually what God has provided for me? Sometimes it can be the same, and that's really good. Yes. But oftentimes it's like, well, wait a minute. These things don't match. If they don't match, you got to choose. Because if you don't choose, you're not going to get there. So how do we help to choose? Let's go back to Ephesians 1, 10, and 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Okay. His purpose and his will. See, that's what this, this part of the verse is focused on. They are bigger than any vision of grandeur that we can fabricate. So Bible will just give in to it. All right? It's eternal. I mean, there's no comparison. Right. And the best we can do is fabricate a fantasy, yeah. which crumbles as soon as we stop thinking about it. Exactly. Okay. So versus the plan of God, which endures from, from beginning to, like you said, all of eternity. So pride's replacement, pride's satisfaction. One more time, again, back to the Psalms. How do you find that satisfaction, that filling up, that just right? Psalm 65, 1 to 4. There will be silence before you and praise in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Inquiries prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one who you chose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. See, now, Satan was looking with his haughty eyes to sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. This is saying, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. It fills us up. It gives us everything we could possibly want or need. It is just right. Rick, we need to look around, see the utter beauty 
and sanctity of God's redemptive plan and your potential role in it. Locking your eyes on this picture is satisfying. Satisfaction overcomes pride. And the, the, the key thing that you said there is lock your eyes on that picture. Decide that's the thing you're going to look at. That's what is going to provide you that satisfaction because satisfaction always overcomes pride. So, Jonathan, we're starting to wrap up uh, this whole thing. So, well, what's left to cover? One thing, Rick, an obvious and important final question. Does pride ever bring anything of value to us? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly, but we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. So, Jonathan, as we track the ever-deepening corruption of Lucifer, we begin to realize that the insidious role that his pride played, what, we, what began as a prideful idea, became a desire, which became an entertained thought, which became a plan, which became an action, which became a lifestyle, which became a destiny. All of this because of pride. We can use satisfaction in the exact same way, though. We can have satisfaction be in our hearts as an idea, which becomes a desire, which becomes an entertained thought, which becomes a plan, which becomes an action, which becomes a lifestyle, which becomes a destiny. All of this because of humility. All of this because we decide to be satisfied in God. It, it's, 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 it's monumental when you see the difference and, 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 and the simplicity of, the, of, of, of being able to fix the issue. Let's go back, Jonathan, uh, to one last soundbite from uh, Jessica Tracy, the author of Take Pride, in her uh, um, YouTube interview, The Science of Pride. And, you know, in terms of distinguishing pride from these broader personality traits, you know, one way to think about it is that pride is an emotion. So it's a momentary experience. We can experience it regularly or repeatedly over time, but it's still just a momentary experience that when we experience, we typically show a particular nonverbal expression and it drives us to engage in various behaviors. Self-esteem and narcissism are both broader dispositional traits, so the sort of tendencies that characterize a person and their behaviors repeatedly over time and across situations. It's interesting, because she said pride is an emotion. And satisfaction is a way of life. If you live satisfied, you, it's, it's, it's like the scripture, godliness with contentment. It's great gain, yeah. Contentment is the, is the outgrowth of that godly satisfaction that we're talking about. So that's what we have to focus on if, if and when we have pride issues. So let's go uh, to, we've got two more pride observations. Let's go Isaiah now, Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. So, I mean, he keeps going and going and going with this. So, again, what does God hate from uh, Proverbs 6 that we want to drop in here? Well, Rick, it's feet that run rapidly to evil. Okay, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. It's interesting that clouds represent trouble in Scripture. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> so, you know, what Satan is saying, I'm going to rise above all of that because I have this higher goal for myself and it includes everybody else as long as they do what I say. And it just, it just is completely backwards. So we need a remedy for this. And Rick, the pride remedy is Satan's plans were for a total coup. He was focused and driven and ran full force into attaining a power that would prove to be terminal. 
Our remedy for such action on our part is to embrace the facts. We are called by God to be the first to receive salvation. We are therefore positioned to run rapidly towards righteousness and God's glory. So how do you deal with pride? Check the facts. Do a fact check. Because pride inevitably takes facts and distorts them and adds to them and ignores some and puts, pulls some ideas and fantasies in and mixes them up. Check the facts. Ephesians 1.12. To the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Fact is, who needs a prideful, prideful vision of grandeur when you have the unfolding of God's real plan? Okay, to the end that who were the firstborn to hope in Christ. So the hope in Christ had a brand new beginning. And this brand new beginning starts with the call of Christianity. And this brand new beginning is the first step for the world to find reconciliation. So the fact is, if you are a true called out Christian following after Christ through humility, the satisfaction is I'm one of the first in line. How did that happen? It happened because you were adopted. Remember, it's not because you're so good. It's because we were adopted into his family and had his grace lavished upon us, and that gives us a way to grow into this. So pride's replacement, we've got to get again to satisfaction. So again, we go back to the Psalm, Psalm 147, 12 to 15. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your sons within you. He makes peace in your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of the wheat. He sends forth his commands to the earth. His words runs very swiftly. So when you see Zion in scripture, what you see, there, there's two parts to Zion. There, there's the physical Zion of Israel. And then there's the Zion, the spiritual call. And it's interesting that Often in scripture, wheat is a symbol of the called out ones. So when it says, he satisfies you with the finest of the wheat, if you want to look at that from a scriptural standpoint, he gives you everything you can want and need with the finest of those who are called out. He puts you in that position to have a wonderful existence. What are you being prideful for? When you have this wonderful existence right in front of your face, for goodness sakes, wake up. Rick, as spiritual Zion, we are blessed in every way. Take these manifold blessings and make them real in your every day so that you can feed you until satisfied. Satisfaction overcomes pride. All right. Take the blessings, put it in perspective, understand what they have to offer you, and then take what they have to offer you and put them next to your own imagination. And let's take a look at reality. Only the facts, ma'am. Fact. <laughs> okay. Versus what I'm dreaming about. Okay. So um, that's an important aspect here. So quick quote. We're going to go to a soundbite. Then we'll go to another app comment. Quality is pride of workmanship. And that, uh, W. Edwards Deming said that. And, and, you know, again, that's the good pride. When you, when, when, when you put quality in place and you look at that and say, wow, that came out really good, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing because it stimulates us to do well again and again and again. So on the other side of that, let's go back to Joseph Solomon. Now, he had just talked about in his last soundbite the, the, the humility of Jesus. 
Now in this soundbite, he's going to talk about how pride ruins you. It's exactly the opposite of what the humility of Jesus taught us. Pride ruins relationships. Pride ruins opportunities. Pride ruins you. Listen to the irony of this. In our attempts to preserve ourselves, to protect ourselves, we actually ruin ourselves. The people who are most joyous in life are not those who chase after everything that they want. No, it's, it's those who are always looking to serve others just as God has served us. And once you really get this, I mean really get this, you will be the better for it. And he's got some really great wisdom in those comments. When we're striving to protect ourselves, to preserve ourselves, we end up ruining ourselves. Because it's all about self. And that's not what the call of Christianity is about. You know, and the idea, and, and again, I just want to mention it before we go to the, the uh, app comment. You know, the idea of the prosperity gospel takes pride and ego, and, and you are taught to put your ego in the center of your prayer life. You are taught to say, God is a God of abundance. So with God's abundance, I can ask for that abundance, and it should come to me. God is a God of abundance, but he will give to us what we need, not what we want. And let me clue you, if you're living a life of sacrifice, following Jesus' footsteps, that doesn't mean a Mercedes-Benz. It doesn't mean winning the lottery. It doesn't mean lots and lots of money. It means character to be developed, to become more Christ-like, so you can make a difference for all of the world, for all of eternity. Big difference between the two. Okay, Trish, we have a, an app comment. Uh, yes, this is from um, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. This is very appropriate. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Good comment. Good. At, keep those comments coming, folks, because it really is, uh, they really, really are appropriate. And, and Jonathan, the, the whole idea there is, you know, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And you read that and you say, oh man, that doesn't sound like a good thing to do. That sounds like it's hard work. That doesn't sound, that's like, I'm being stifled. You know, I'm being put down. I'm being, I'm being looked at as less. But no, 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 that's exactly wrong. That's exactly opposite of what's happening. The whole point, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, is so you can become more than you ever thought possible. So you can have a better effect on the world now and later than you ever dreamed imaginable. So you can rise to a, a level that can eternally glorify God without interruption and without, without, without any d diverse thought. So taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is the best step you can ever take. And yeah, it takes some discipline. But man, it gives you such satisfaction. And uh, so we're now winding down here. We're down to our final pride observation about Lucifer and his fall. And again, let's just do a little bit of the, the, the background from the things that we had uh, talked about before. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Okay, and from Proverbs 6, that was feet that run rapidly to evil. I will make myself like the Most High. And so now here, the last thing that God hates from Proverbs 6 is what? A false witness who utters lies. So he says, I will make myself like the Most High. This is a false witness. 
He is proclaiming himself to be like God. Cannot do that. A false witness uttering a lie. And how does the scripture end? What's the end result of the pride of Lucifer? Well, Rick, it's nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. That is the inevitable consequence of pride that goes unchecked. Destruction. It will cause destruction. And, you know, when we talked about failure, we did failure parts one and two. Remember we talked about failure due to choice? Mm Mm-hmm. And that was the only kind of failure that will have eternal consequences. Every other kind of failure, God can work with. But when we make failure due to choice and we stick with that choice, it will end up in destruction. That's what Satan did. That's what Satan gets. That is just, that is merciful in God's plan. Well, Rick, our pride's remedy, Satan's final proclamation, have epitomized untruth, for no one can actually be the most high. Our remedy for such lying thoughts is to accept the true and powerful witness of God's promised spirit. Its presence in our lives is our guarantee of God's plan, presence, and power. Okay, so you can't actually be like the Most High. Now, look, true Christianity is, is given a promise to be elevated to a position that we can't even understand. And it is to be elevated to a position to have life within yourself, to have immortality. But in that position, just let's remember that the end result of the plan, of everything, of reconciliation and everything else, is it all gets turned back over to God. So he will be all in all. Exactly. So never do you rise to the point of God Almighty. But by his grace, by his love, by his mercy, by his power, by his plan, by his son, We can be given a place, if faithful, that is really close. That blows my mind. So, I forgot where we are. We're heading back to Ephesians, right? I knew that. Thank you. All right. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So let's pause on this just for a moment, Jonathan. The scripture says you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now this guarantee seals the inheritance because when it says you were sealed in him, you know, when in in, in the ancient days, when, when when the king put his seal upon something, it became law. It became the way of the land. That was that. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That seals the inheritance, which brings us as close to the Most High as anybody could ever imagine being. That is breathtaking. That's not just a little thing. So when you think about it, and the idea of of pride and ego, and you look at all of the things we've discussed and all of the aspects of Satan's fall, and all of the things that that he he got off track on, all of the things that God hates. What we're starting to see here is a sense of the the bottom line comparison. And you have imaginations and um, ego and thinking all piling up on one side. And then you have the facts of the plan of the Most High God that not only include those who are trying to follow after Jesus, but include the rest of the world as well. 
These meek human followers of Christ will be judging angels, keeping order over humanity, keeping things straight in God's way. Wow, that's mind-blowing. It is, it is. They're given this amazing level of power and responsibility. Why? Because they're humble enough and have been willing to be developed enough to be able to handle such a thing. God is pretty smart. He won't pass out eternity to anyone. Right, right. He will crystallize your character to such a point that there is no possibility of you going down the wrong path once he, if you are in line for the gift. So let's go to our final scripture in Psalms that talks about satisfaction. And again, satisfaction, spiritual satisfaction, is the key remedy for pride in all ways and all cases. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. I will satisfy Zion, uh, her, her needy with bread. And you notice in this scripture, Jonathan, and we're almost out of time here, it says, this, this is my resting place forever. God will rest in the faithful ones. How much better do you get than that? I ask you. Let's finish this up. Replace pride with satisfaction of becoming the resting place of God. Be clothed with free, the free gift of salvation and live joyfully. Always remember, satisfaction overcomes pride. Satisfaction always, always, always overcomes pride. If we can put godly spiritual satisfaction in place, focus on it, check our thinking, check our emotions, check our heart, check our desires against the facts of God's plan and the, the, the abundance of his mercy and his grace and his adoption for us, surely pride is just going to have to go away. There is no, no room in the end. <laughs> go away. You don't belong here. It's over. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed being with you talking about a subject that means so much in everybody's life. Make sure you look pride in the eye and say, no thank you, have something to be satisfied that is much better. Till next week, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, pride doesn't belong. Think about it.